The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about all sorts of exciting things that are happening at McAfee, and we are going to be speaking with the Vice President and Chief Privacy Officer of McAfee, Michelle Dennity. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Before coming to McAfee, Michelle founded the Identity Project, which is a consulting advisory company specializing in privacy and security sensitive organizations. Michelle is also a founder and editor in a chief of in chief, I'm sorry, an editor in chief of a new media site, the identityproject.com which um, was started as an advocacy and education site, and it currently focuses on the growing crime of child identity theft. So we're going to be talking a lot about that. Michelle was the vice president for security and privacy solutions for the Oracle Corporation as well, and her team was responsible for the role that Oracle could play in information strategy as an important provider of security solutions for business. And before the Oracle acquisition of Sun, Michelle was Chief Data Governance Officer within the Cloud Computing Division at Sun Microsystems. Michelle worked closely with the Sun's business, technical, and legal teams to create the best data governance policies and processes possible for cloud computing, and that was to build trust for the cloud environments through vendor transparency. She's done so much. She was uh, Chief Privacy Officer at Sun, and she is just a delight. So you can learn more about the great work that they're doing at McAfee.com and also the IdentityProject.com. So we'll talk right now. So thank you, Michelle, for for joining us all the way from Northern California. We sure appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Mari. Well, tell us a little bit about your job as Privacy Officer for McAfee. So I, the, the role of tri- Chief Privacy Officer is when I'm coming back to you, as you said. I, I feel like I'm very old now that I've heard all of these things that I've done. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny to hear them read back. But this is kind of coming home for me again. So I started the privacy practice at Sun Microsystems back in the year 2000. And this is kind of a back-to-the-futures job for me. The way I look at privacy roles is we really are the Chief Financial Officer for data, so I look at I look at the the risk portfolio, so keeping data safe and secure and treating it as if it was our own data, and also looking at the opportunities. So what are ways, additional ways we can protect you 
using your data or by deleting your data if it becomes something that's at risk and not protecting you. So it really is that balance sheet kind of practice of constantly evangelizing, educating, and treating information as a really important asset. Now, a lot of people don't understand the difference between security and privacy. And since you're the chief privacy officer and not the chief security officer, maybe you could help my audience understand this. Yeah, and it's, I'm in an interesting role because, of course, McAfee is the largest um, dedicated security company. And so uh, security and privacy are, are married in the, the real world and also very much so here at McAfee. The way I look at privacy and security together is some people think of it as one or the other. So either you have a lot of information and you're hiding it away in, in order to secure something or you're, you're keeping information very secret and private and, and in an enclave. And I don't think that that's the real model. The way I look at what security is, security facilitates um, CIA is their big acronym, right? So it's the ability to keep information confidential, make sure that that data has integrity, that it is what it says it is, and make sure that it's available so that information is going to the right place at the right time. So that's security. And, and you can have security and not have privacy at all. Right. So, for example, if, I, if you didn't have the right to have my customer data, and there's no reason that you would to, to produce your, your show or, or practice your, your law practice, and I could send it to you very securely. I could make sure it's encrypted. I could make sure you and I should exchange passwords, and that information would flow. So... This is where enter privacy. Once you've decided the CIA, your security of the information, you have to decide what should, could, must, morally, ethically, and legally be shared. And that's, that's the art and the practice and the law of privacy. That's, that is about the best definition that I've ever had on all the privacy officers I've spoken with. So thank all you. Right. That was great. <laughs> yeah. Now let's talk about something that's, I know, very dear to your heart. You created a child identity theft project. So why don't you tell us about this passion that you have? Yeah, so I, you know, I'm, I've always been passionate about building privacy really for the next generation. You know, I was a, a young lawyer when I first started in privacy and having my first child um, five days after or, or five days before 9-11 happened. You know, the nation was in a, in a very interesting place, of course. And so everything I did in the corporate setting was really for her and eventually for her sister when she came along. But at the same time, I was very clueless about child identity theft and specific victimization of children online. I had worked with the Secret Service in other places about um, child trafficking and that kind of exploitation. But in all of my travels, in all of my focus on privacy and security, I'd never come across child identity theft. And so when I um, left Oracle, I was approached by a small company, All Clear ID, and they had this new technology where they would do what they call child scan. So looking only at the child social security number, and they had noticed that there was a huge amount of abuse. And so I said, okay, and I went down, I checked them out, and then they said, why don't you run a scan on your girls? And lo and behold, my older daughter, who's now 10, she was eight at the time of the discovery, she had been compromised not once, but twice, and the first time 11 years before her birth. Wow. Yeah, so as you can imagine, I'm pretty careful online. I do have all my malware protections up to date. I do the right things, not clicking on, on things that I shouldn't. I know about phishing attacks. I know all of these things, and yet our children are so vulnerable to attack because their number is so very valuable to the bad guys. 
So wait a minute. I got to go back to your daughter. Uh, this uh, her social security number was used eleven years before her birth. Is that what yeah. you said? Okay, so yeah. someone just made up a number that turned out to be hers or had been somebody else's who had been deceased and they recycled it? How, how was this number? Because I've heard of the recycling when somebody dies and then somebody just takes that and then it's reissued to a child. Is that what happened to your child? No, so it's really interesting. There's a couple different ways. And, and as I've discovered since this time, there's and this is a rough estimate, but roughly 2% of children every year who are issued, and I shouldn't say children because people coming into the country and, and getting Social Security numbers as adults are, are just as, as victimized. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, so 2% of people are issued previously used Social Security numbers, and they can be used in two different ways. One is file confusion. So you simply have made a mistake. You actually think that that's your number, and you missed. You transposed a couple digits. And we've seen children where they've acquired 40 years of credit at two years of age, right. and that certainly has come up on some of these things. And it's very difficult. The Social Security um, Administration has a very difficult time replacing a, a Social Security number, even after it's been woefully compromised. So that's kind of thing number one is file confusion. The second thing is really quite interesting, and Alessandro Acquisti at Carnegie Mellon actually wrote a whole paper on the predictability of the Social Security number up until last summer. So from about, I, I think it was 85, and I may have that start date wrong, until last summer, um, 2011, the Social Security number was predictably issued. So if you are... You know, if you know anything about the Social Security number at all, you can fairly easily predict numbers that won't be used for another 10, 15 years. So you can pick a date that's far into the future, and you can know with pretty much a surety that absolutely no one is watching this number. And so you can exploit it. You can import, export people into the country and out of the country, giving them fake identities. You can give them to criminals so that they can subsist under the wire. And, of course, you can use them for financial fraud. So these are the algorithms that they're using to predict this? It's not even algorithms, quite honestly. The way that they were issued, it, it really wasn't hard. You could, you could actually Google, how do, I, how do I make up a Social Security number right. that hasn't been used before? <laughs> oh, really easy math. So the Social Security Administration has changed that, and now they're starting to give more randomized issuing. But we're, you know, we'll have to hold our breath to see if the number of, of falsely issued numbers goes down because, of course, they don't screen them. So before, what I didn't realize is when my daughter received her Social Security number, one would think that they were, there was some sort of assurance or they had been screened or it had never been used before or something. There was some sort of check and balance, but there's simply not. Oh, my goodness. So, so did you get a new Social Security number then for her? No. So in, in her case, actually, we were able to clear. So I used the All Clear service. They actually have um, trained investigators, and they helped me do the, the letter-writing campaign. So I'm, I'm a lawyer by training, too, yes. um, and I'm fairly well acquainted with the environment. But I tell you what, the letters that you got to write, you got to have magic language. you got to yes. have to know which department you're talking to, all of those th- wonderful things that are noted in your books. It's yes. not an easy thing to clear the record. Right. So in her case, because you know she is so young, and this is why I've been telling everyone that will listen, please check your child's, um, do a child scan, get your child's Social Security checked. It's much easier. It was so much easier for me to go in and say, listen, this child is eight. There's no way that she's secretly rented an apartment and defaulted on utilities in Arizona. Right. There's <laughs> no way she has a card for a store that went out of business before her birth. 
<laughs> you know, yeah, she hasn't yeah. defaulted on that. So it was it was fairly easy to clear. But uh, but I have worked with children where it is incredibly difficult to change your social security number. Once you've got it, you've got it. Because well, in their mind, it's not an authenticator. Right, right. But I have had other people that I've helped their child to get, when it when it's a young child under 10, we have been able to change it when it's very clear. Because writing yes. those letters and dealing with that, you know, I understand it for an adult, but it is, as you said, someone like you and you had somebody to help you, it is overwhelming. That's why I have a CD with all the legal letters and, and with one of my books. But the reality is, if they're under 10, you know, you have to really tell the Social Security Administration that you have to have a change. And we've been fairly lucky with that, with several people that I've helped. So just, you know, I think you have two choices. One is what Michelle says is to, you know, get the help and write all the letters. And the other is to really be strong about changing that social security number when they're 8, 10, or 12 years old. It's, it's yep. crazy. And do it when they're young. Yeah, do yep. it when they're young because when you're 18 or 19, and I think you know from uh, Joan McNabb who probably talked to you about all these foster children that they get yeah. to be 18 years old and then they find out that they're a victim of identity theft. They can't get a job. They can't get a, an apartment. They can't get anything. So that is just really, you know, pretty horrible that they've been a victim for many, many years like your daughter was. It's just amazing. So, yeah, it's pretty shocking, and, and so that's that's what prompted me to put a put a website up. There, there are a lot of wonderful child advocates. I would certainly put you in that camp, Mari. Um, but I, I think it's one of those things where, as soon as you find out about it, you want to tell everyone you know. Yes, exactly. No, especially if it happens to you or your child. You know, that's how I got into becoming an identity theft expert by necessity because back in 1996. My identity was stolen by a woman who paraded as an attorney, you know, did all sorts of things stealing my identity. And I ended up going to Washington and, and testifying on 18 U.S.C. 1028 and passing the laws in California writing uh, the penal code section uh, with Beth Givens. We went yep. and we, we wrote the legislation that created the identity theft legislation to make identity theft a crime. So it's it's been crazy, but that's usually what happens, the fact that you had this happen to your daughter. So so let's talk a little bit about the particular concerns for children with regard to privacy. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different issues here. So the first is, you know, child ID theft, which we, we've already talked about. Some of the harms include are, are not just financial crimes. I think most of us think ID theft is just a financial crime, and it certainly is not true. And, and in your case, you pointed out, for example, it's a reputational crime. It can be very, very difficult if you're confused with someone with a bad reputation or someone who's intentionally smearing your own. That's a particularly difficult thing for a child because they're coming into the world absolutely new. So when you're applying for school loans or you're applying for a driver's license and you're confused with a criminal and you're That kind of confusion can be very, very frightening and very, very dangerous. Um, We're seeing more and more healthcare fraud. So people stealing children's identities or your your glasses um, allotment at work. Sometimes people have these benefits at work where they get a free pair of glasses or free dental care or whatever it is. More and more people are getting more and more desperate about the healthcare situation and stealing um, a child's. stuff. And so basically when their parent then takes them to get their services, they're unavailable to the family. So it can harm a child's health. It can hire their, it can harm their future. And the also other, if the they're other, blood, I was just going to say with medical ahead. identity theft, and you're absolutely right, Michelle, it is pretty horrible. They can take your, 
your health care, if you have health insurance, or even if you don't have health insurance, and someone can create a medical file on you with a different blood type. So this this is basically basing, um, you know, that your health care and, and the records that you have about you are pertaining to you and your, you know, your illnesses. And of course, not only could it be very dangerous if you need a blood transfusion and they have the wrong blood and that's the medical record, but if you think about all of the medical records that could keep you from getting health insurance or life insurance or disability insurance or all these things that get mixed up. It's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty horrible. In fact, uh, many years ago, um, Beth Givens and I had this woman that we were helping that was a doctor and her medical records were mixed up with someone else and she couldn't get life insurance. Yep. So you're right. It's, it's horrible. Yeah. And you don't really know where this stuff is going to go. I, you know, I, I heard a, a friend of mine took his daughter to the hospital for treatment. She's got a chronic condition he didn't realize that she had been the victim of healthcare theft, and he was met by a social worker at the hospital door, separated from his daughter, and interrogated basically because she had alcohol in her system and all these other things because of this other person had come in to get psychotropic drugs and treatment for alcoholism. Mm. And so the claim was that he was abusing his daughter with, with drugs and alcohol. So it was a really quite frightening experience for both of them. And yes. getting it off the record, he went to the hospital and said, I want this removed. So obviously, this is a six-year-old child, and this has, been a, you know, this has basically been your problem. Someone hacked into your database. And they said, well, we have to leave that information in the file, but we'll write a note. Oh, good. So he's had a bear of a time trying to get their records cleaned off, and they're claiming that HIPAA is preventing them from clearing her good name. Yeah, and so I'm, it's yeah, and amazing. I, I'm having. I'm right now. I'm dealing with a woman whose um, identity was. It wasn't identity theft, but two women with the same name, and they mm-hmm. and they used the original blood test from the. Well, I'll call her the bad lady, because she also committed crimes. Okay, and she yeah. also didn't pay child support. And my poor client not only ended up with, you know, having to deal with a DA with child support that she net didn't even have a child, but she also has been having to deal with this record that makes her look like she's a drug addict and an alcoholic. So it's been, uh, yeah, we're dealing with that right now, and they don't want to change the records either. But we are, you know, trying to segregate the records and trying to redo them. And I would say medical identity theft is just about as hard as dealing with criminal identity theft. Those are, yeah. are really, and I have a poor guy who's who also has a, a whole criminal file that he was fired and he can't get another job and we're trying to fix up his criminals. So these are the things that can happen to children as well as adults. Absolutely. And, and I think what it really points out is we don't do a great job as an arm's length society at authenticating people. So it's very difficult for people to actually prove that they are themselves for the good guys. The bad guys, it's pretty easy. You just kind of go fishing in a barrel and you take an identity that you want and you victimize someone. Right. For the innocent parties, it's a lot harder. And for the businesses, it's a lot harder because you really have to focus on authentication and making sure that you are you and not kind of grabbing onto the easy credit and the easy online services and, and saying instead, you know what, I'll be a little bit inconvenienced for a site that actually has appropriate protocols for a store. I don't really need instant credit because I want a store that actually wants people that can pay them back and, and have, you know, a good reputation. So it's difficult, but that's where we are right now. I think we're in a really big turning point because there's such a dependency on computing and compute power we really have to acknowledge this marriage between privacy and security in the form of authentication and really focus hard on that issue. Exactly.
So let's talk about some of the types of threats, threats that affect us online. Since that's the company that you deal with, that's the kind of stuff that you are trying to help people with, right? Yeah, yeah. So particularly on the on the family side, so we sell both consumer. Uh, products as well as enterprise solutions, but um, there, there's a great resource site. It's McAfee.com/cru, and it's and CRU stands for Cyber Response Unit. And on that site, you'll find all sorts of checklists and advice about what are the right kinds of technologies. So some of the things that we're seeing are things like: um, Have you heard of smishing before? Yes, why don't you explain that to my audience? Yeah, so mm-hmm. smishing is something that, that I recently heard of. Basically, we know what phishing is. Phishing is when someone sends you something online and it looks enticing enough that you want to give them. It's a social engineering online. You want to give them your personal information. Either it says, hey, come here to uh, get your gift card, just give us your name and address, or hey, I'm your bank, change your thing. That's a, that's a, that's a traditional fish. So smishing is now on your actual your, your cell phone when you're getting an SMS text message, right. and they say, hey, come and press on this thing. So we're starting to see it on a multi-platform layer. That's one of the most interesting things that I've been looking at um, in my new role here at McAfee is the combination of platforms. So we're seeing attacks, traditional malware attacks are getting better. Um, I wouldn't say that they're going away, and I, I definitely wouldn't say that they're a commodity because there's a lot of big math that goes on behind the scenes to determine what is a real malware attack. So there's there's different forms of these things. So there there is the difference between a virus and a worm. It's something I didn't understand before I came here. A virus is something that initially breaks in and wants to do bad stuff. Either wanting to grab your data, wants to watch your data, surveillance. It's an active bad thing. And I think phishing is is one of those things I would put in kind of the the between social engineering and and a, and a virus attack. Uh, then you've got a worm. A worm actually doesn't want to do anything right away. What a worm wants to do, a worm wants to be uploaded into your machine and sit there and wait for commands. And mm-hmm. so it turns your machine into a bot. And, and one of the biggest risks we have personally and, and on the enterprise and governmental level are, are the botnets. So having this kind of gathering army of silent computers that are not controlled by their owners. Right, so, so it's just like, and I want to just say, for those of you who are listening who don't know, she's talking about a bot is like a robot that, that, that from afar, they control your computer. Okay, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, and you may not even know. So I think, I think that's a great clarification because you may be turning on your thing going, ooh, that sounds really bad. I'm glad I don't have one of those because my email's working and I can go on Facebook and all the things I love to do online. And, and you, but you still can have a piece of your computer that is controlled remotely by someone else. Mm. So this is part of the, the reason why I wouldn't give up on making sure that all of your, your software protection is up to date. So we call it malware. So it's like malfeasance software, you know, yeah. malicious software yes. is what malware stands for. Right. So have, making sure that you have malware protection and then going one step further and looking around your computing environment your tablets, your smartphones, all of these things are computers. Yes. So one of, one of the products that, that I think is our most popular, and I'm, I'm speaking out of school, so I don't know statistically if it's most popular. It's most popular to me. The <laughs> thing I recommend is something called All Access. It basically allows you to go into your home and protect all your devices. 
at once. So you buy the software and then you protect all your information from malware. Um, but it's really important to remember, malware is part of the solution. So protecting against malware is the technical security side. That's the McAfee side, and we can help you with that all day long. We're great at it. The other side is what we're doing right now. Just Mari and I having this conversation and getting the word out, constantly f focusing on education because the bad guys are adapting too. And so for you to not click on that SMS link, if you don't know who that text is from, for you to, to really not engage in cyberbullying or friending people online that you don't know. And cyberbullying happens at all ages. Yes. So yes. You, you see it in the workplace, you see it online, you see, you see PTA moms gathering together and doing crazy things that they would never do in face-to-face -face contact. So I think there's a lot of, you know, it's, it's kind of comes down to um, Stay Safe Online has this great kind of uh, vehicle, which is the three C's, you know, cybersecurity, cyber safety, and cyber ethics. And so those things married with the appropriate technological tools I think are just a slam dunk that you just kind of baseline for if you want to be online, you got to get there. Exactly. I think this is, um, we're seeing a lot of cyberbullying. Have you been, you know, in your, and I looked at your wonderful site for ID theft, and I'm just wondering, what are you doing about children with cyberbullying? Because that seems to be a, a terrible problem for kids. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I need to, I, I haven't done a lot of writing this summer. I've got to get started on some of these issues. So I think, I think there's been some really good work done out there. I, I, I really, really applaud the makers of the movie Bully. I don't know if you, yes. you saw some of the, the stuff about that. I think it's really important to notice. Um, I was very disappointed. I think it was the Wall Street Journal had an article with a picture of an adorable little, um, kind of prep school boy saying, you know, peep, you know, public enemy number one, and, and his article said that his name was Rick, and it rhymes with a male body part, and therefore he knows all about bullying, and these mm. parents that are talking about it are just a bunch of busybodies. Mm. I think that's crazy talk. Yes. Bull bullying is real. Bullying can be deadly. Bullying can result in suicides for kids as young as eight years old. Right. So it's really, really critical and I think, and part of our mission, and this is this is actually why I, I left private practice and went back into the big corporation, was that McAfee has this great cybersecurity education for schools program. And um, the, the curriculum is also at, if you go to mcafee.com slash CRU, we use the, the Stay Safe Online curriculum. You know, we just adapted it. Right. But it's open source curriculum. You can get your hands on it. What we do is we train the trainers. So our employees will go out and, and do training in schools, but we also give away those slides and say, here, I'll, I'll train the trainer, and then you go out into your community and you talk to your kids. We have a K-12 through curriculum about things like cyberbullying, cyber ethics. And what we do when we do that, and I think it's so powerful, is we also give them some of our passion. I love being in technology. I love it. It is so fulfilling. It's so exciting. It's so fun. We're always on the cutting edge. We're always learning new things. You know, like you said, like who would have seen, you know, that this horrible case of identity theft would lead you to D.C. and into all of these really fabulous, interesting issues. Yes. That's, that's what I think we can do for our kids is say, first of all, you are terribly empowered. So you are as empowered to take care of each other online as you are to tear each other down online. You're as empowered to stay safe online as you are to be victimized online. And so it's our choice. We oh. can go forward as parents and actually protect our kids. Exactly. You know, I think it's so wonderful that you're doing this in the schools. And, and uh, the Orange County Sheriff's Department actually has a training for parents. Because I'll tell you, the kids are better online than, than their parents are. 
So we have a training program for parents that they can come in for free, and we teach them what to look for and how to protect their kids. So that is uh, that's something exciting too. So thank you yeah. so much. We I can't believe the time just flew. You are just wonderful, Michelle. And I thank you so much. And we will definitely want you just give your two websites, and then it's time for us to go. That's great. So um, check us out at theidentityproject.com and McAfee, M-C-A-F-E-E, dot com slash C-R-U. Okay. Michelle Dennedy, you are wonderful, and we will have you back again. Keep up the terrific work. We appreciate you very much. Thank you. You too, Mari. Okay. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. There you can see our upcoming guests. You can download podcasts. You can listen to archived interviews. You can write us emails about what's important to you about privacy in the information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.